What's going on, everybody? Welcome into Red Zone Radio. It is great to be here. Great to have you. Just my in the Red Zone Radio on the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere that you get your podcast. A lot to break down. Georgia's win over Alabama's in over Alabama in the national championship game. Multiple head coaching firings in the NFL. Uh, let's start off with uh, with the more positive story, which was Alabama Georgia national championship. Georgia gets their first national championship in the college football playoff era, also in the BCS era. You know those two uh, kind of. Uh, well, 40 years, right? Um, but it's just a long time coming for Georgia. Kirby Smart finally knocks off Nick Saban. Georgia finally beats Alabama, and they get their national championship win. Um, and it, it, it was crazy. It was a crazy game to watch, obviously. Uh, the the pick six at the end, uh, it looked like, you know, it looked like it was, it, I mean, it didn't look like it was. It was a defensive battle. Um, and even though the final score wasn't that low, it, it, it and it, it was a defensive battle throughout the way because the pick six obviously aided in Georgia uh, breaking thirty points in the game. But it was, you know, a bunch of field goals, a bunch of field possession, and Georgia came out on top. And so, you know, I I, I think to myself after watching that game, you know, this is great for the state of Georgia. And they have won their national championship, and nobody can take that away from them. It's in the history books. They finally beat Alabama. Kirby Smart finally beats Nick Saban. All of that. Um, and, and by no means am I an Alabama apologist or a Nick Saban apologist. But I do want to say this. I totally understand um, today. If you're Alabama, if you're an Alabama fan listening to this, or if you're, you know, who if if you just are a college football fan in general, why Alabama fans may kind of feel like we got gypped. Like, we won the SEC. We beat Georgia when we were supposed to. And then our receiver, uh, and then in the SEC championship, John Mechie goes out. And then you go to the playoff, go to the playoff, and you beat Cincinnati. And then you go to the national championship, but then in the national championship, you got to replay a team. And we all know anytime you play a team twice, the team that won the first time is at the disadvantage. And, uh, and you know, Alabama still came close, but then Jameson Williams, your other number one target, goes out. And there was a pass late in that game. I don't know if you... I'm sure if you watched, you saw Bryce Young threw on that final drive before he threw the interception. That and the commentators alluded to it. Kirk Herbstreit alluded to it, which was if if that was Jameson Williams in there, maybe he would have caught that pass with the speed that he has, the connection he has with Bryce Young. Maybe he would have caught that pass. But you know what? Georgia won that game. And and I'm not I'm not trying to make excuses for Alabama. I'm not trying to make excuses. Um, because there's been plenty of times where Alabama's gotten the benefit of the doubt in terms of the committee ranking and all of that. Um, but but this is what I will say. Yesterday, do I feel like the best team 
won the national championship? You know, that that's a tough question. Obviously, George was very good. Their defense was very stout. To answer that question, I would, but to be totally honest, I would say no. It doesn't mean that I'm mad Georgia won. I think Georgia, the, the state of Georgia deserves this. Um, and by the way, they did their part in the regular season. All I'm saying is the way everything lined up, the way the injuries happened, the way everything happened with Alabama, they kind of got chipped. And I don't, you know, I'm not sitting here feeling sorry, oh, Alabama doesn't win the national championship one year. I'm just, I'm just trying to look at it from a totally fair perspective. Secondly, uh, the other thing I want to say about this college football season, I, and I talked about it yesterday, um, this this was this was a terrific year for the national championship. Not just for the national championship, but this was a terrific year for college football. And I said this, and, I, and like I said, like I said, I said this yesterday. The college football is my favorite sport, but the thing that uh, college football uh, is missing is the competitive balance. Right, like, like every year, it's just you got three teams that typically rule the sport, and you know everybody and everybody else is good, and everybody else has moments of the season. But when they meet up with the big guys, you know, tip when when Georgia finally meets up with Alabama, or typically when an ACC team that looks good meets up with Clemson, or typically when a Big Ten team that looks good meets up with Ohio State. It just doesn't end well for those teams. Typically, the big dogs always win. And this year, you 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 had you had difference and you had different faces in the in the competition. Oklahoma loses, right? The, the, they they're out of playoff contention, so they're not in the playoff. Clemson playing the Cheese Bowl, they're not in the playoff. Ohio State loses to Michigan, they're not in the playoff. Uh, Alabama made the playoff for the national championship, but they lose to Georgia. They're not a national champion. And by the way, yesterday was the first time since since LSU that someone other than Ohio State, Alabama, or Georgia, or I'm sorry, Ohio State, Alabama, or Clemson won the national championship in the college football playoff era. And now you got now you kind of get to add to that teams. Uh, it, it, you know, fourth national championship for Alabama. If you're looking at it in the college football playoff era, it wouldn't have looked good for the sport, right? And I think that's all anybody wants in college football is it's a little more competitiveness. I mean, Tom Brady is the greatest of all time, but but he's not ruling the sport they they the way they are the way that some teams are in college football. Uh, I don't think he's going to win it this year. Aaron Rodgers is great. I've seen him get blown out in the NFC Championship before, and so to see Alabama. Go down yesterday to Georgia. It was good for the sport. Parity, you know, you know, parity in the sport. Cincinnati wins a national champion. Or get those to the college football playoff group of five teams. Uh, you got to see a lot of things that you just don't normally see. You got to see Nick Saban lose to an unranked team, lose to two former assistant coaches. Right? You don't normally get to see that with Alabama. You got to see Michigan beat Ohio State, and you got and you got to see Clemson look immortal for the first time in years, right? So it it was really just a good year for difference, for opportunities. Lincoln Riley's going to USC, uh, you know, Mayor Crispo's going to Miami, Brian Kelly's going to LSU. Just a big time coaching changes in the sport, 
and that's really what you got to see this year and yesterday in the sport, and it was good. And you saw the emotion from Stenson Bennett because this means something to the state of Georgia. They have, they've been so close, right? And in, and in specific that year, uh, two years ago, uh, not two years ago, I think it was like three years ago, when Alabama and Georgia played the national championship and Georgia had that game in the bag and then two a second and 26. We all know that play in overtime, right? And it looked like for a second that yesterday's game might be going overtime if Alabama completed that drive. But Georgia completed it. He got parity in the sport again. Kirby Smart finally gets uh, some critics off his back. And, uh, you know, it, it was a great year of college football. And I cannot wait for next year. College football uh, is an amazing sport. All right. Now, let's uh, move to some NFL talk. Really just, the lineup today is really just going to be a lot of, there are three uh, that I've seen so far, head coaching firings. Because it's that time of year, right? Every year at the end of the year, head coaches get fired. And I think the one that surprised everybody the most was Brian Flores. Um, Brian Flores got fired, and I thought it was interesting because, yeah, this was not a terrific year for the Dolphins, but they did catch fire at the end of the season, and uh, and they they were making somewhat of a playoff push at the end of the season. But what I want to, but, you know, I think when you look at Brian Flores's short-lived career in Miami, you, you look at his record, um, and you kind of think to yourself, that's just record, but it's just stats in general. I'm going to read a few off for you in a second. But you kind of think to yourself, you know, he didn't deserve to be fired. Miami kind of had, uh, they kind of got a steal with Brian Flores. And just to reference what I'm talking about here. Okay, so you're 24-25 as a coach. And yeah, it's not a terrific record. But you got to think about what he's working with. Miami's never been a power, you know, back maybe with Dan Marino, but in in the recent era of college football, uh, I'm sorry, in the recent era of NFL, Miami has never been a powerhouse, right? They've been dominated by Brady. They've been dominated by Belichick. And then Brian Flores comes along. Oh, he's 4-2 and two against the Patriots. He's 4-2 and two against Bill Belichick. And that's something you do not see out of coaches. And it, it, look, I totally understand if if he only had a winning record against Bill Belichick and everything else that he did, and the rest of his track record was just absolute, you know, garbage. Right? Then it's like, okay, maybe fire. But you're looking at the record that the Dolphins have, and you're like, really? You're looking at Brian Flores' record, his track record, his record against Belichick, his record with Tua, his record with Ryan Fitzpatrick. You're like, really? They're going to fire him? Brian Flores did not deserve to be fired from the Dolphins. Brian Flores was a... I, I think what you really saw here was Miami is... Not not the most functional organization in history. Miami doesn't have a whole lot of pieces to work with moving forward, and they were looking for a scapegoat, and they found one. They found one of Brian Flores. And unfortunately, that's just the way most head coaching firings normally are, but it doesn't mean 
you know, it doesn't. It, it, most most head coaching firings, not all, but I, in my opinion, a lot. If you look at them year by year, a lot of head coaches don't deserve to be fired. Some do. I just don't think a lot of them do. And I think what you see is is the, these coaches that are like a Brian Flores that get fired. That's just the organization looking to point the finger somewhere. They, I don't think it's Tua's fault. I just think this team isn't prepared. Now, based on what you saw last year, you expected some growth this year, right? And that's understandable. But I think when you watch this team play this year, you look at the pieces they have. They're just not ready to win a Super Bowl yet. Maybe maybe a borderline playoff team at best, but they're not ready to win the Super Bowl. You got to build a little bit more. And... Brian Flores was doing a great job with building. He was doing a great job with this team. And the Miami Dolphins just say, okay, bye-bye. And they're, they are leaving a lot on the table with Brian Flores. I mean, you're, you're leaving a head you're, – you're letting a coach walk that has a – that's it's not like a winning record by one game. Four and two against Bill Belichick. Against a, the best coach of all time, that's like a dom, that's like domination, right? I mean, that that is – absolutely dominating that series and, and and you look at Brian Flores you look at the Dolphins Brian Flores is going to have success elsewhere right but the Dolphins they're going to have their hands full H- head coaches not to mention the fact that and I literally and I it's funny because I just talked about this yesterday teams always make moves like this coaches always make moves like this they don't think about their leaving behind the Dolphins today are not thinking about what they're leaving behind of Brian Flores. They're just thinking, let's just find the next coach. And the thing is, there aren't that many great coaches out there right now. Lincoln Riley went to USC. Brian Kelly went to Notre Dame, right? All these big-name coaches, Jim Harbaugh, all the rumors that even if he does leave, all the rumors from him point to Chicago. So this move that we see from the Dolphins, unless they find someone that can have a winning record as Belichick and take them to the playoffs, it's it's looking like a huge mistake, and it's looking like, you know, we just need someone to point the finger, and Brian Flores was their scapegoat. All right. There are two other firings. I don't think these were that surprising. Mike Zimmer, Matt Nagy, and I t- Matt Nagy, obviously, he got rumored he was going to be fired uh the, the, the after the game on Thanksgiving when they played the Lions and he didn't end up getting fired but he is fired today and this is all I'm going to say about Matt Nagy Matt Nagy um, although hated for whatever reason by many Chicago Bears fans and although you know he wasn't Lincoln Riley on the offensive side of the ball he, he, you know he wasn't Bill Belichick on the defensive side of the ball I get it, right? If he played, he if if they stuck with him, he probably wasn't going to be a, a legendary head coach. But this is what I will say: he got to the playoffs with Mitch with Mitch Trubisky. He, uh, you know, won games with Nick Foles. He won games with, uh, you know, a rookie in a rookie quarterback in Justin Fields. Who struggled at times. And so for Matt Nagy, he'll find a coordinator job somewhere. I do believe that. Um, 
And I, I personally think he's a good coach. He, he's, a, he, you know, obviously he didn't win enough, but it's just hard to win in an area. I, I think what these franchises, and I'm not defending every culture, but one of the things I always look at is what's the track record of the franchise versus the track record of the coach. And I've seen Matt Nagy win games with Mitch Trubisky, and, and we saw Matt Nagy win games with Nick Foles. You didn't see that. You know, it's not like Chicago has some great track record, right? Obviously, you wish he would have been a little more aggressive in the offseason at times. You wish that he would have got more receivers at times. But at the end of the day, he he, he did a lot for the city of Chicago, and you know, in in winning games, getting them a future in Justin Fields, and, and getting the playoffs. And if it was not a double doink. He's got a playoff win, right, with Chicago and, and Mitch Trubisky. So this idea that he failed as a head coach of the Chicago Bears, I don't think he failed as a head coach. I think it's just this organization, Ryan Pace and, and the GM and this organization, it's not ready to win yet, right? And and they're too and they're not aggressive enough in the offseason at acquiring weapons and acquiring O line help to do so. And this is the second point I want to make about this is Justin Fields. Justin Fields again is one of these quarterbacks last year that we said, look, it's better than landed in Jacksonville. Okay? But we all know out of the three quarterbacks, well, four quarterbacks, I guess I guess you could say, that were taken, that Mac Jones and Trey Lance unequivocally landed in the best possible spots in the NFL draft. Trey Lance landed with San Francisco. Mac Jones landed with New England. Two functional winning organizations with great head coaches. With great head coaches. And when you're looking at and when you look at where Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence landed, you can make an argument. Those two, I, I and me too, almost every scout, every analyst had those two as the top two quarterbacks on their board last year, right? Trey Lance had a high ceiling, but he wasn't polished, and Max Jones was polished, but he had a low ceiling. Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence were the two quarterbacks to get last year, in many people's opinions, not, not, not just anybody, but scouts, analysts. All the coaches, all those guys, right? But they landed in terrible positions. Trevor Lawrence with Jacksonville already already threw a head coach, right? Uh, Justin Fields in Chicago already threw a head coach. Uh, you know, in, in Justin Fields' case, he's got to play Aaron Rodgers twice a year. And I don't think Aaron Rodgers is going anywhere anytime soon based off the year they had. So this idea that... You know, the, Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence are just going to be Hall of Famers one day because of their talent. It to me is just complete nonsense. They're great talents. They're great players. I think they're the best two. I still believe they could they they could be the best two quarterbacks from that draft. They they both have super high ceilings, but they're never going to reach their ceiling and they're never going to reach their potential if their organizations and their teams do not start. You know, just putting constant chaos around them. Do not, it, when you go through head coaches, when you don't get them O-line help, when you don't get weapons for them, they're going to struggle. They're going to struggle. And so 
Today, I look at Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields' careers in the future, and, and maybe they'll sign with other teams in, eventually. But I look at their next couple of years, and it's bleak for both of them. Jacksonville's got the number one pick for the second year in a row. Chicago's still another head coach. These organizations have got to start treating their young quarterbacks with, you know, they got to start treating them like, you know, like with some structure, with some, you know, sense of I, I can trust my my organization to do right the right things at times. Because right now, I, I do not believe that either one of these young quarterbacks is looking at their GM and looking at their organizations and are like, you know, I'm going to have a long, tremendous career here because they can't trust their organization. They can't trust their their GM to make the right decisions in the offseason. And so I'm not saying firing Matt Nagy was a mistake. I just think, A, Matt Nagy didn't fail at the job. It was just an impossible task. And, B, you gotta provide some sense of stability in your in your soon to be second year quarterbacks. All right, and the final um, coaching fire, the coaching firing that took place today was uh, was Mike Zimmer was let go from the Vikings. All right, so let's talk about this. So Mike Zimmer. Um, had a winning record and a couple of playoff wins, and he played mo- in the last you know few years when mostly spent with Kirk Cousins. And this is what I'll say about Mike Zimmer. I think this was the right move. Mike Zimmer's going to find a coaching job somewhere. He succeeded. The pr- and I really like Mike Zimmer. I do. I the problem with Mike Zimmer was, and and really with a lot of these head coaches that got fired, not all, but a lot of them. I, I think the problem with a lot of them, and, and now now we don't know what's going on with the with the GM and all that, but I think the one of the big problems you see is they're not aggressive enough. They don't go out and acquire playmakers. You know, with Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, they are super aggressive, right? Brandon Staley's uh, playing wise is a little too, too aggressive for my taste, but nonetheless. What you see with these head coaches that get big players and all that is is they're super aggressive. And one time, Sean McVay is going to make a trade, right? It's going to be a big blockbuster trade, and it's going to blow up in his face. And the same with Kyle Shannon. We don't know what Trey Lance is going to be. Maybe that will blow up in his face. We don't know. But the reality is they acquire playmakers. They keep the GM happy. They keep their quarterback happy. They keep everybody happy because you keep acquiring players. You keep acquiring talent. And it just... It kind of melts the pressure away from you. And what you see with Matt Nagy and what you see with Mike Zimmer is Mike Zimmer played with Kirk Cousins for years. And I know and I know Kirk Cousins got that huge contract. But that was a trade that, looking back, was clearly a mistake. Kirk Cousins is, is, a, is a good quarterback, but he shrinks in big games, and he cannot be... He, he is not going to carry your team. If he has talent around him, he'll succeed. But he is not going to carry your team. And the Vikings couldn't work out, couldn't get themselves out of that situation. And Mike Zimmer just could not get himself out of that situation. And what you ended up seeing happening was, obviously he paid the price for it in the end. But he wasn't aggressive enough. He couldn't get quarterbacks, couldn't get people in draft. And that's just... It, 
it's not like the it's not like the Vikings don't have pieces, right? Justin Jefferson's a tremendous young receiver. Um, it's not like they don't have defensive pieces either. Uh, you know, Adam Thielen's a great receiver too. But I just don't think the Vikings and Mike Zimmer were aggressive enough in the off season. Uh, in the off season, they was there. He was a good coach. If he wants to coach again, I think he will be able to. But what you really saw with Matt Nagy and Mike Zimmer was these were two guys who were good coaches, understood the game of football, but they were, but they just weren't quite aggressive enough, and they just made they just made one not enough trades, right? And and, and they couldn't get the pieces or the players, the explosiveness that they wanted to get. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for this episode. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Have a great day, and I'll see you next time on Red Zone Radio. God bless.